0: Romans 8 starts on page 944 of your Pew Bible, or well, 8 verse 31 is what you're looking for. It's in the bottom right-hand corner of uh, the bottom of the right column. Of course, if you're going to work with the Pew Bible, you're going to hear different words. I'm using the KJV this morning. We're going to go back and forth within and around these two translations as a congregation for some time, as we try to discover know which one's the better translation uh before today you know whatever you're working with is sufficient this is is valuable to take note right to pay attention what words are different why what questions does that cause you to ask about what you believe you might come to me and say pastor i heard this one word but it says this other word do you know the greek do you know the hebrew and i'll say yes or i'll say no but i can and then you know we grow that way yeah so uh, where I want us to grow most today is in the more than conquerors mindset. I want us to know what that means. What it means that Christianity isn't here to conquer the world. We're here because we already did. And now we are ambassadors of truth to the enemies of God. By means of, well, truth. 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 We're going to get to truth. Next week, when we talk about scripture, the Bible, what it is, why it's true. But this week it starts with trust. I answered a question recently to someone who, who said to me, You know, why should I trust the Bible? And you can't use this verse or that verse to prove it. He said, <laughs> That's a funny thing. So you want me to prove to you from the Bible the Bible's trustworthy, but not with the verses that say so, right? That's the game we're playing these days. Um, but the, the thing of the matter is. Like, you don't become a Christian because you trust the Bible. You trust the Bible because you became a Christian. See? You became a Christian because you heard about Jesus and you were like, please. Yes, please. And that wasn't you. That was God. (laughs) That was God doing that to you with Jesus' story. And now the Bible is where it's written so no one can take it away from you. That's why it's good to know it, to read it, to learn it. Because then some guy like me comes in, all fancy, highfalutin, kind of good looking, maybe charismatic, at least, and he says this, that, this, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, oh, okay. And you go home and you read, and you're like, wait, it didn't say that. All right. That's who I want you to be as a people. I don't want St. Paul to grow because Pastor Fitz is a good preacher. I mean, you need a good preacher. You need a good preacher. But that—that's not why a congregation comes alive. It's because the preaching is heard that it comes alive. And that's not up to the good preacher. It's not up to you either. It's up to him, the Lord of the harvest, who decides to waken trust in your heart. And the place where that happens is when he comes along you, alongside you as the kind of God who you can trust in, which frankly isn't the kind of God you're going to find out in the world very often. Certainly, he does make the sky, and so you can see the beauty of God in nature. That's there. Um, But if you're looking for signs from God as you go to work this next week, chances are you're going to find a lot of angry people, a lot of greedy people, a lot of selfish people, a lot of pain, a lot of weariness, a lot of tiredness, a lot of broken things. It's like, where are you, God? Where is the good God? How shall I trust in him, given that what I see doesn't always look like he's on my side? And that's where the Romans 8 more than conquerors mindset is so important. You can't look to see if God's on your side. You can't stop. God's on your side. He made you. That means He's on your side. (laughs) You know, like from the start, He's on your side. He made you. And then you found out you don't know if He's on your side or not. Guess what? He saved you from that too. He's on your side. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has risen. Right. So God's on your side. The more more than conqueror's mindset is the knowledge that God's on your side even when it looks like you're failing. Maybe even especially when it looks like you're failing. And here's a little parable, all right? It's your walk along the road and you trip on a rock and you fall on your face and hit your face on the ground. And if you're like most humans that ever lived, you say something like, uh, you you know, whiz crackers. You know, I don't know what you say, but it wasn't thank you, Jesus. Right? That wasn't it. Uh-huh. Um, and it was something along the lines of, um, I'm really embarrassed. I need to get up. I hope no one saw. Right? That, that's also what's going on with whiz crackers right? as, as that comes out of your mouth. Um, but what happens when you go that route of cursing the failure is you don't bother to look what you bumped your face on very closely usually. And what I have found is if once I bump my face, I just stop, take a deep breath, and open my eyes and look, there's like a golden nugget in the pathway. I would never have seen it. I would have walked right on by, but I fell, and there it is. That's more than conqueror's mindset. It's not going to be gold on your driveway at home. I'm not promising you gold. I'm promising you peace of conscience. I'm promising you hope for the future. I'm you, you can say hallelujah to the bells. And that even the interruptions give us a reason to remember that God is in charge. Yes, thank you. Feel at peace. Feel at peace. The the demons, it's funny, they want to interrupt us, and they like to use the technology to do it. And when you get upset about it, you get worried, nervous, right? And Poor Linda is having to feel embarrassed, right? We love you, Linda. The demons are doing this to us. So everyone comfort Linda later because that hurt her a lot, right? And, And yet she's doing the right thing. She's caring for it. Yet, who are we? Does that matter? Can we stop the beast from sticking his nose in? Of course not. Of course you try to turn your phone off every week. Of course you do. Everybody does, and then you forget. I've had it happen. I've been up here, and off it goes. Right. So the thing is, are we living in shame, or are we living in trust? Is God good and on our side so no matter what comes, no matter what comes, it's for our good? Or do we have to wonder and question and test him a little bit, change him a little bit, guard him a little bit? So now, Romans 8, the passages to give you so much certainty that nothing goes wrong in your life. We're going to start with verse 31 again, which says, what then shall we say to these things? That's, we're going to look back now. We're not going to look at the whole chapter. I'm going to give you four verses that are these things, okay? So when he says, what shall we say to these things? There are four things he said that we shall say something to. The first one is verse one of the chapter. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're in Jesus. Whatever shame you ever feel, guess what? It's a lie. Yeah, but I deserve it. So what? still a lie. But I did the wrong thing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's still a lie. Jesus isn't ever going to come along to you and be like, shame on you. He doesn't do that. He might say, stop it, right? Or what are you doing? But he's never going to say, shame on you. Uh, Instead, he's going to come along and say, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say, it's okay, do the stupid thing again. He says, stop doing the stupid thing that brought you to shame. But don't believe for a second the shame's from me. The shame's from your enemy, the devil. That's the way he talks. I talk like there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's how God talks. That's one. Number two, um, let's look at... uh, Uh, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. So there's no condemnation. And what comes after you die can't even be compared. Apples and oranges, they kind of look the same. You can compare them. That's why it makes sense. You're like, they're kind of the same, apples and oranges, but they're different. This isn't even like that. This is like seed and flower. This life, seed, world to come, flower, can't even be compared. Whatever suffering's going on right now, you just don't even know how good it's gonna get. But you haven't figured out the suffering's not that bad. I mean, what do you look at this guy on the cross? I, I bet you that hurt more than anything you've gone through. You know what I've come to believe he's in in that moment right now? He's kind of excited. He's like, I don't know if you've ever seen Braveheart, the movie Braveheart, where they like, they draw and quarter the guy. He's like, freedom! Like, that's it, it is finished! He did it. He won. He killed the dragon, right? So in this then, the present sufferings are just the game a little bit. It's the game. Would you play football and not want to get hit, right? Would you dance without a partner? Uh, Can you learn without failing, right? The present sufferings are just not even close by to what's coming. That's two. Number three, likewise, the spirit helps in your weakness. You don't even have to know this is happening to you for it to be happening to you. You have to know who Jesus is for it to be happening to. you, But you don't have to know how or why, right? Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. It is the body of Christ. And then let's argue about the Lord's Supper. How? You don't have to know how. Why are you arguing about how? He said it. Believe it. Amen. Move on. We could solve so many problems this way. That takes the Bible. That's next week. Trust in the Bible, though, starts now with believing that what God says is true and that his spirit is with us even in our weaknesses. All right, so since there's no condemnation, since we're going to a better place, he knows full well we are getting there on our own, and yet his Holy Spirit lives inside of you to drive you there. Think about it that way, to drive you there, like a car or like a puppet. Although no, not a car, not a puppet, a human that you are now being inhabited by the Holy Spirit. You're possessed, not by the demons, but by the Holy Spirit of God. He's in you now, right? and he helps. Uh, Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose, right? So there's no condemnation. What's coming next is better. The spirit is with you even when it doesn't feel like it, and all of it's going to turn out for good. What shall we say to that? Well, in all these things, we're more than conquerors, is what he says. So let's look at it though, verse into verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Simple logic, right? Since he's on your side, what are your enemies going to do? The reason you're afraid of your enemies is because you're not sure God's on your side. I mean it. You're not sure. And the fact is, he is. He's on your side. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He's on your side. Now, he might let you lose a battle, so you might learn how to be better next time. But he's never going to let you lose the war. He can't. You can't lose the war. The war is already won. We're more than conquerors. We already won. We're liberators. Think about it that way, right? The Freedom Army, with words of declaration that the battle's over. It's been won now, yeah? Um, If God is for us, who's going to stop us from that? It's his message. It's his word. Where is that going to stop? All this stuff about how do we make the word come alive, or how do we reach the youth, or all this kind of crap, frankly, is all, why is the word of God not working? And I'll confess to you, usually it's because you're not actually saying it. We've changed it. We twist it. We tweak it. We make it soft and palatable. We want it wants to taste a little better. And what happens is, then God isn't for us. And we talked about this morning already, St. Paul Lutheran Church, the ups and the downs of our history. I guarantee you, I guarantee you on Judgment Day, I guarantee you that the reasons for the collapse of our old facility have to do with pride and at some point thinking we had to save the building and the school. And when we decided that that was our religion, well, God took that religion away so we could be saved. And he put us in this little A-frame thing out here on the corner. But who can stand against us now since he put us here and we didn't decide to come here on our own because we wanted to build an idol, right? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things, all things, Ponies? (laughs) Ponies? <laughs> I you know I I'll tell you a funny story, it really is. You know, I have a kid who'd like a pony or a horse, and for a long time I've been like, yeah, I'm a pastor. <laughs> so good luck, kid. Ask Jesus. Hey, you know what's right down the street? We didn't even know. We lived here five years. You know what's right down the street? A horse park she can volunteer at and then get paid to work at and then get lessons at. I can't afford any of it. She's already doing it. Jesus will answer your prayers. Start, you know, ask, make it big. Yeah? and make it for others, as we've talked about before. Yeah? How will he not also, along with Jesus, give us all things? Let me also say it this way. I know you've heard it said, because Paul's right. The Bible says this. This is true. If we have hope only for this life, we are to be pitied above all people, which means we should really pity all people, because most people only have hope for this life, right? But now, you can fall off the horse on the other side where you say, therefore, I have no hope in this life and I only have hope for the next life. I suggest you also are to be pitied at that point. Because the gospel of the salvation of Jesus Christ is not just that he saved you once from the devil. It's that he is your your from all peril. Even up to and including the death that you will die in his name as glory. Uh-huh. It's really a different mindset. It's a different mindset. Huh? How will he not also give us all things? He's going to give us exactly what you need at the right moment. I don't know what movie it is. It's some stupid movie. It's a J- Jumanji. They've got to put this, like, this thing back in this thing. It's like a gem back in a statue to stop the island from being evil. Fun movie, okay? So all these characters are doing this thing, and they're trying to get to the top of the mountain. And the one guy's on a motorcycle, and the other girl's like, I don't know what she's doing. She got flung in a slingshot or something. And they're all passing this thing like a football, right? Rugby toward the end zone. And at the last minute, he jumps on his bike, and he catches the stone, and he throws it in all at that right moment, right? You know what you can't do? You can't plan that. I mean, in the a movie, they planned it. But in real life, you want to catch the stone at the right moment and shove it into the goal? You're not going to plan it. You're not going to be prepared for it. It's not going to be something you're ready for just in case. Never going to happen. You're not going to just in case score. Not going to happen. What you can do is just in time respond with wisdom that the word of God gave you, trusting the Holy Spirit's on your side, and you can't fail even if you do. Because you're more than conquer. even when you fail. Because God's going to turn around and be like, well, then repent. And you'll be like, okay, I repent. He's like pouring out grace on you all over. Wow, I failed and it got better. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. That's the path. That's the path of grace that's coming in two weeks. We're still on trust. We're still on faith. Believe these things about God, yes? Who shall bring a charge, verse 33, against God's elect? That, that literally means like in your entire life, who's ever going to say anything to you that's going to stick on judgment day? And the answer is Nobody not even the devil himself. His name's the accuser. He's going to bring charges all the time, probably through your own head most of the time, right? You're walking somewhere and you're like, no, or uh, shut up. Or or maybe like to some person, you're like, I do not think that. If you stop, you're like, who am I talking to? Oh, that was my mom. Or that was my sister. Or that was this person. That right? Those are charges your conscience is bringing against you. And what this text says is none of it counts. You can just let it fall off. You can ignore it. Anytime it's you shouldn't have in the past, you can be like, well, I repent. I'm sorry. I move on. And you can now do what's in the present. Shame is always in the past. Guilt is in the moment, and you can avoid it, actually. You can be like, well, that's wrong. I'm not going to do that. That's guilt. Shame's like, oh, I'm so bad. How could I have done that? And Jesus is like, well, you know what? That just doesn't count anymore. And you're like, but I believed, and I still did. He's like, yep. So I believe again. I have you. And I'm going to keep letting you bump your face on your own sin until you stop putting your face in your own sin on purpose. And then what will happen amazingly is you'll find that God is gracious in all things. And every step you take is still going to have sin, but sin won't be something you're so afraid of all the time. If someone comes to you and says, brother, you've wronged me, you won't be like, oh no. Instead, you can be like, what did I do? How can I fix it? Let me make it better. It doesn't have to be like a crisis all the time. It really doesn't. The, the word sin just means to miss, to miss. You know, every time you get a 98 on your paper, you sin twice, right? You know, that's the, what the word means. Evil's a little different, right? Sin gives birth to evil over time, where if we don't stop the mistakes that sin are, that the wrong thing or the stupid thing that you would do, right? Sex outside of marriage. It's sin. It's stupid is what it is, right? If you don't stop the stupid thing, then evil things come later, right? And capturing that mindset in the freedom of the good news that we are the kingdom, that God has chosen you to believe this, that it cannot be taken away from you, that the demons are afraid of it when we talk about it out loud together, and that it shares itself with everyone around us, again, who can stand against you? That's Paul's question here. Who condemns you? It is Christ who died, right? Oh no, what will God do to me? Christ died for you. That's what God's going to do to you. Huh? who is it who condemns Oh, furthermore I should say verse 34 he is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession so it talks about how he's ascended he's the king of the universe he's praying for you all the time those are good things so who's going to separate you from that love that God has put in Christ and now this next part gets so poetic it's really easy to go through it quickly right uh, yet each of these words is different so you know the question is real Like in your life this week, when you get out in the midst of it, when you've had enough and you're up to your neck and you're going to drown, and you don't know what to do with the walls are closing in and then the window is narrowing and you just, all of that. Okay. Shall distress is the second word there. Right, Tribulation will come back, but shall distress separate you from God. And Paul's answer, Jesus' answer, the Holy Spirit's answer, the church's answer, my answer is no. You're distressed, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how narrow the scope becomes, no matter how much you can't see a way out, does not mean God's not there. It just means you're under attack. And that God let that happen so you could fight back. You have weapons. Your flesh is not one of them. So, if you want more leisure time to fight back with the Word of God, not going to happen. Doesn't work that way. It's not leisure, but it is rest. It is rest for your soul. Uh, distress, distress cannot separate you from God. It's a fact. Uh, tribulation. Then this would be hardships of any kind. Uh, but you might also think he's going to talk about persecution. But somewhere between hardship and persecution, tribulation, right? Travail, tragedy, difficulty, challenges. Right? Can can that separate you? from God, or, or persecution. Now we actually have imagined the government hates us so much that we're illegal. Or perhaps your neighbors just hate you so much they leave junk on your yard or they spray paint your signs or who knows the many things they do to pro-life people these days. Shall that separate you from God when your enemy wins and you're thrown in jail and you have nowhere to go? Or is that the time to believe God's got you exactly where you're supposed to be, right? More than conquer wherever you are by believing God is with you. Never left you, has a plan, and it involves the words of Jesus just absolutely rocking out your life and world. Famine, right? Can famine separate you from Jesus? It's actually a promise that it can't. You you will have daily bread. You will have enough food. It's a promise of scripture. It's the hardest one to believe. I really think it is. Personally, like daily, as an American, I have to make dollars. I don't make dollars, I can't have breads, right? It's the only way. I can't just grow bread. It doesn't work. It's too late for that for us. And so it's nerve-wracking to me to think about something like like famine or food or how to provide. But the fact is Jesus has promised it's just going to come to you. Go do your labor. Go do your work. Go be a person. And the revolution of the planets and the movement of the stars and the grass growing and the trees blooming is all going to go on as it has from the beginning. And daily bread remains a promise for you. So no famine cannot separate you from God, even if you die of starvation, because it is possible. It is possible that you die of starvation, uh, yeah, but, but unlikely. And like all of the deaths that we face, we're going to get to this with the sheep to be slaughtered in a moment, but like all of the deaths that we face, it's actually your private, personal, made-by-God adventure of glorious epic, more than conquering life. And if you just put it in that framework, whatever it is, I don't want to go through that, God, yep, but you're going to, and you're going to come out glorified. I could almost sign up for that. I'd play the video game, wouldn't I? Well, I sure would. Okay, what's well, real? Ah, and dig into that, yeah? So famine, nakedness, I think this means a little bit, something more like a vulnerability. I mean, certainly you want to be clothed. If you can't afford to clothe yourself, you're the poorest of the poor. Right? But what about that moment when you feel exposed? I feel like everyone's looking at you. All that pressure again, right? The pressure just comes on. Is God gone? No, not at all. And he planned that whole moment. And your believing that changes the way you see it as it comes on you, right? Peril, a general world, sword, death, actual death. Can it separate you from God? No. The moment of death, it all opens up and becomes tenfold better. Hard to believe, I understand, but the promise nonetheless And one that gives great confidence when you stand on it. And let me say this too. You don't even have to like believe it with all your heart and feelings to stand on it. All you have to do is stand on it. I get this question from people. Pastor, I read the Psalms out loud, but they don't mean enough to me or they don't mean anything to me or I don't understand them. I, you know, I I just don't feel like it's doing anything. And my answer is I don't care. Read it out loud anyway. Do it again tomorrow. It'll mean something eventually. Just, you know, just don't stop do the discipline and let the discipline teach you how to feel rather than expect to feel the results without the discipline, right? Discipleship means be active in the study of the scriptures because you trust them. You trust them. And so, uh, well, what shall separate us from Christ This big list of stuff and we'll talk about trust as it is written. Verse 36 For your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep to the slaughter. You go back and look, I believe Psalm 44, which we sang a little bit of earlier this morning, is where that verse comes from. I think that's right. And uh, in either case, the context of the whole thing is the prayer we prayed this morning God, why aren't you fighting for us? We haven't stopped believing in your Bible. We haven't gotten rid of the Lord's Supper. We still baptize babies. We sing about your son every single week. We confess the Nicene Creed. Why are we shrinking as Lutherans all over the world? Except for maybe a few places where they're not Lutherans. You're just charismatics with the name Lutheran. Why? Why, God? What's, what's happening to us? And the answer that, that comes out in the psalm is, oh, you just got it backwards. I actually plan to kill you, and that's my job as God, and I enjoy it, so get ready. For my sake, God's sake, you are like a flock of sheep, and absolutely I will shear you and produce wool for, for others uh, and markets and all this, but at a certain point, uh, old sheep, I'm going to put you to bed. And you know how, how how does the farmer do it, right, when the horse breaks the leg? I mean, it's a, it's a tragic thing, right? You just walk up, you shoot the horse. It's a sad day. It's a sad, very sad day. But It's a little more than that now, though, because we shoot the horse, the horse is God. When, when when God crushes you into death, you're born again in ways you can only imagine right now. And it's another movie. This moment, they really stole a good moment. You know, Ben Kenobi fighting against Darth Vader. Everybody see this one? Somebody Ben Kenobi fights Darth Vader, right? And, and Ben Kenobi's like, no, I'll do Darth Vader first, right? Once you were the master, but now I did it wrong. I am the master. He's the master now, right? And a big thing. And and Ben Kenobi, this Jedi guy, says, strike me down, and I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And he holds up his sword. And he lets the guy kill him, and he vanishes. He disappears, and he becomes a super Jedi. Because death to him was nothing. It was actually transcending to something more. And that's not a promise for every human being, no matter what Star Wars says. But it's a promise for the Christian, because that's what Jesus says. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Even though he considers us sheep compared to himself. Okay, right? uh, the way you consider sheep compared to yourself, nonetheless, his intention is to put you into glorification through death. As he puts this age and this life and these hopes and this flesh to rest, he is going to enliven and break forth a new man. And that new man's alive in you already by soul. That's the truth as well, right? And that soul is able to say, all right, bring it. Since I know that the end of my life will only take that moment and push it forward into eternal life, why am I trying to die as late as possible in a bed surrounded by cold, stinking stuff and a too-loud TV? Why am I not trying to die running toward evil that I can stop? That's a question for every American to ask seriously and every Christian to ask with hope, knowing that whatever you are doing today, you're going to more than conquer again tomorrow. And so you can look at how far you've come, or you can ask, why am I not good enough yet? Or you can just believe that the path is made for you to walk. And in your adventure, you don't get to go from level one to level 50 the first week. You get to do it over your whole life. And Jesus plans to take you there. And at the end, you're going to be a boss monster. You're absolutely going to be able to look the devil in the eye and say, bring it, bring it. Who shall accuse me on judgment day? What shall death do to me? Go ahead. I'm not quite where I can say me. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. And I really would like to to go to rest with my fathers, having seen my sons, sons, sons. That sounds nice too. Yeah. But, but behind all of this is the recognition that I want to meet death running, not hiding. That's what it means to more than conquer. And then when you want that, it's going to change how you face every other man you face because the fear of death is behind your fear of man, always. And so every other man you face, now you're not afraid. He might accidentally kill you or lead to your death or any number of million things that could happen, right? What happens in a complex world? Your fears are always tied to this. Now you're not afraid of that man and what he could do to you because you know God's right behind you. Whatever that guy does to you, let's say he does put you in the grave. Judgment day, you're like watching him get it. And he'll deserve it too. And you'll be right to say he deserves it. Righteous God. Don't let grace take away righteousness. Don't let it do it. That's bad. That's, that's the bad Lutherans that are out there, right? They use grace to make it okay to be evil. No, no, no. Evil gets his comeuppance. And you're not evil because you've been called, you've been glorified, you've been justified, you've been sanctified, all these things that the rest of the chapter talks about, so that nothing is going to separate you from your God, Jesus Christ, and all these who are more than conquerors, uh, and uh, and he is with us. Yeah. Now then, what I want to do for our, our last bit here, I think, we probably won't go back to to Isaiah, but I want you to turn to John, John chapter 12, and look at how Jesus himself takes this trust and lives with it. Because this idea of your death being not about being saved from it, but being glorified through it and especially after it, Okay. Um, that idea is what Jesus has at root of that question we heard asked earlier today. And then there's some more context here that lets you see, uh, how much Jesus is really just saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to win the way I want to. It's pretty cool. You know, his, his confidence here. So, um, John 12, uh, we're going to start, I can get you a page number if you want the pew Bible too. uh. Page number eight nine eight, and we're going to start at verse twenty. Um, I'll just kind of give you some context. The the triumphal entry is right before this. Uh, it's Holy Week, right? It's the week in which everything is escalating. Uh, his enemies are plotting to kill Lazarus. This only happens in John's Gospel. Did you ever catch this? He raises Lazarus from the dead, and so many people are beginning to believe that he is the son of David that they began a plot to assassinate Lazarus, to, pro- to get the guy out. He's the proof, right? He's the, he's the testimony that Jesus is God. And they're like, we'll kill him. You see how, how much the politics and the, uh, the backroom deals and the, the power grabbing is really at work here in, in this people. And Jerusalem at the time of Passover or any of the other major feasts swelled in size to a place that you, you almost can't imagine it. Um, the only thing I've ever seen that compares this, I can can kind of put it in my own head was I lived in San Diego when the Super Bowl was there and I worked downtown parking. I was like in high school, Uh, I drove downtown and did the parking and our city went from being a city that was pretty busy to like, there were so many people. It was ridiculous. I couldn't even believe how many people were in downtown San Diego out of this world. That's how Jerusalem was three times a year, three times a year. Uh, for these festivals and feasts. And there's a ton of things going on. People are seeing old friends. You got family gatherings. You got people who are angling for political value, gathering together and talk about how do we do this? How do we that? How do we become more of what we are? The Jews certainly don't want to be under the Romans. This is a time when the Romans send extra legions into the city because there tend to be riots and all sorts of other stuff going on. And the party who's in power at the temple wants Jesus dead in this mad mix of a Super Bowl party that's going on in the streets. This is not a safe place for Jesus. Why are you here, Jesus? Uh, His disciples might ask, although they're stockpiling swords because they think he's massing a crowd and he's going to take the temple and then he will rule. And so they're probably kind of excited when these Greeks in verse 20, who are there at the feast, they come to Philip and they, they ask him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's a good prayer, by the way. Don't, don't, nothing wrong with we wish to see Jesus. But what, what are these guys after? Do they wish to see Jesus high and lifted up on the cross? Is that what this is about? And who are they? And there's a real important like, little bit here that almost all translations don't help you with. Almost all translations take this word here that is just the word Greeks. Hellenists is the word. Hellenists. Takes the Hellenists and it puts it as the Greeks. The problem is, no one called the Greeks the Hellenists, at least not in the Bible and New Testament Jerusalem space. That phrase "Hellenists" is like like the word "Goyim." Do you, want, you know the word "Goyim"? Goyim means nations. It's the it's the Hebrew way of being racist against everybody else. If you're Goyim, you're not Jewish. All right. If you're Goyim, uh, you're you're not Jewish. Um, But the word uh, Greek then, see, they're not goyim because they are Jewish. But they speak Greek, they look Greek, they talk Greek, they act Greek. You want to kind of put this in a a bubble and and, and feel it? Okay, so we're a liturgical church here at St. Paul Lutheran Church. Rockford, Illinois, you come in, you're going to get a hymnal. You're going to get an organ, piano. Uh, You're going to get Lord's Supper as the high point of the service. We don't have incense at the moment. Uh, If you go across town to one of our other churches, you might find instead a rock band and, uh, you know, not people in suits for sure, and a little more kind of cavalier approach to things. The guy's not going to dress like this for sure. Okay, so that's the difference between Pharisee and Greek Jew from Alexandria, that's how distinct and different they are. That's how much they don't like each other. The Greek Jews have to go to the temple, though, because it's where Christmas is. You can't have Christmas without coming to the temple, which is the way it works, right? It's not Christmas for them, it's Passover. So here they are, and where do... I mean, I told you the city swelled. You know who lives there all the time is the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people of Israel. But you know who comes during the party is the Greeks. So who is there a lot of people supporting or who do these people that are coming to Jesus perhaps represent? Well, the other major major political faction in the city that might care about something like Hebrew independence or at least understanding the value of a prophet. So whereas the Pharisees and the Sadducees are rejecting this prophet, here come these men from Alexandria saying Gamaliel, they don't know if they say that, right? But like effectively, we who are in this other place, we're kind of with you. So what shall we do, right? This is an olive branch to Jesus. And he just goes like this. Poof, I don't care. Like here is the power to take the city of Jesus. I don't, I don't care. He says, right? He says it differently, right? He says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's not, I don't care. It's I care about something else more, right? Jesus cares. Jesus loves you. Jesus has a heart for everybody. But there are things he loves more than you righteousness, justice, truth, eternity, love itself. He loves all those things more than you. He loves his Father more than you. But that's why he loves you with immeasurable love. You can't even measure his love. So Jesus sees this potential or hears of this potential that somehow we might avoid his crucifixion. I mean, see that. In his disciples' eyes, they don't know he's going to be crucified, but this is the glory story in the text. They're like, hey, look, we can have some power in the crowds, Jesus. And Jesus says, now's the time for glory. And then he defines glory not as the power that they're seeking. Verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat Falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. Wait, wait, but G- Jesus, there's like lots of people to help us. What are you talking about dying for? I see no one gets it, but He does, He knows exactly what's going on. And He left these words for us so that we might see that you know, sheep for the slaughter. You want the glory of eternal life? Well, then you're gonna die. Huh? Twinkling of an eye sounds fun. He might come back. We all change. Do you, you assume, you probably assume this, right? So Jesus returns. I've kind of thought this way too. Jesus returns, twinkling of an eye. We're all changed, right? Did you assume that would feel good? Did you assume there'd be no pain? I, I've not ever dunked a basketball on a 10-foot hoop, okay? I've done it on like a six-foot hoop. I can get a good run start. I can jump up two hands. I can do 360s. I can lean in. I can act like I'm the man. And you know what happens after a while? You're jamming a ball down a basket. You start to hurt. Your wrist hurts. Your fingers hurt. They'll even rip and bleed sometimes. You know what you don't do? You don't stop. Because the pain is part of what makes it glorious. This is the lesson Jesus has here for us, right? Now the hour has come to be glorified. I must die, he says, verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He willingly sacrifices it. I had a moment um, a week and a half ago where something I've been working on for a long time, it's kind of a relevant one, but a long time. For me, it was very, very important, this thing. Lots of energy, lots of time, lots of money, and it looked like in one instant with one email that I didn't send, it was all over Gone, taken from me. Nothing I can do. And I remember, I'm very grateful for this. Well, I'm going to say this now. I remember saying, uh, well, Jesus, I guess if you want me to sacrifice it to you, I will. Right? If you're going to take it away, it wasn't it wasn't me, it wasn't the devil, it wasn't the other person's fault. I mean, it was, but, but who? Who really let it happen? Well, Jesus, if you want to take it away, you take it away. I'll sacrifice it to you. Well, guess what? An answer showed up in the next day. It's all fine. Not a problem at all. Still going strong. Point here, point here is that if you sacrifice it, God often lets you keep it. That's how the sacrificial system worked. And we're not talking about earning atonement here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you have that moment where something's taken away from you. If you just realize, oh, I sacrificed it. God took it away. It's a sacrifice in his name. Jesus, I praise you that I lost that thing even though I didn't want to. Thank you for teaching me how to sacrifice. And again, this mindset is Jesus' mindset. Uh, that, that means the world that is coming is more important to you than this one. When this one's important to you, every little thing you lose matters. When the next life is important to you, every little thing you gain is worth sharing. i mean, just going to get thrown out or broken or used up anyway, right? So what are we hoarding it for? That's, again, Jesus' point as he goes to the cross and he says, I'm not hoarding anything. I'm going somewhere, right? I'm headed somewhere. And verse 26, if anyone serves me, right, you want to follow Jesus, well, then follow him. Let him follow me. Which I suggest means understanding this lesson. Going down to uh, verse 27, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me? No. I came here to do something that isn't being saved. And again, verse 28, then, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. Um, The name of Jesus. We could go many, many directions for this, but I think the most important one is You want to try a little thing this week, a little discipline to make life a lot better? In the morning, make sure you ask Jesus to save you from your enemies today. And then if he won't save you, teach you to glorify his name today. The same thing, He's going to save the little child from the thing the child can't handle. But the more you become a man, he's going to throw you to the wolves and you're going to fight like a dog. You're going to come out stronger for it on the other side because you don't fight the way they fight. You don't drink the way they drink. You have a well they don't know about. And this, again, is the power of Romans 8 in your life to believe that everything Jesus is doing here, he's going to do in you which doesn't mean possess you necessarily to drive you to the cross, but it does mean to drive you to his cross in the knowledge of your death being something that you have nothing to fear. You may trust and not be afraid. As you pray, Father, glorify your name. The next verse tells us a voice from heaven spoke. This is a strange moment. There aren't many of these voices from heaven. Not many. A voice from heaven spoke, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God the Father, like, he really gets to boast. It's okay because it's all true. Like he never boasts without truth, he only boasts truth. And, and it's like, yeah, well, this is what I do, is I glorify my name. Huh? And then notice how what happened next, verse 29 the people who stood by heard it and said it thundered, it was veiled. The message was veiled to those who could not, would not, did not believe it. Others said it was an angel spoke. I heard an angel talk. And now Jesus says, this voice did not come because of me, but for you. Now, let me suggest again that that's not even them back then. That the voice from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again, came to Jesus that day so that you could know that it's indeed what God the Father plans for you and that the glory he has planned for you is not to ruin your life. It is not to make you suffer in a way that you do not understand. It is not to be a shadow and a fear and a trickster and a terror to you. It is to be a father who is calling you out of a pigsty, back to his home, through a valley filled with wolves who will eat you, and as they do, they're going to die because you're going to leave behind such powerful grace that some of them become sheep. And this is just the way it always, always works. Trust is what Christianity is all about. In the name of Jesus, amen.